welcome back to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the lines with the movers and shakers and movie makers of film, television, uh, writers, directors, production designers, composers, sound editors, video editors, you name it, we talk to them. And... We'll let you know what's up and coming in the with the tent poles and the indie gems, which all of our regular listeners know. I have great, uh, great, great fondness and love for all the little no budget, no budget, micro budget gems out there, uh, and there are quite a few of them. And we're going to talk uh, talk about a couple of them today um, with our special guests. But you know, as usual, we're right here on Adrenaline Radio. It's Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, if you're listening, if you want to jump on because owner Nick loves his toys, we are do a live stream on Facebook, on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page. It's nothing extravagant. It's a very simple tablescape today. Uh, it was a very rushed morning. So forgive me for not having fancy schmancy stuff out on the table uh, today. I was encountering a body on the ground as I was trying to leave my house to get here. Uh, don't know the outcome of that situation, but uh, it's not a good one. Um, I've never had to navigate around a body on the ground in the driveway before. So, uh, but if you want more than what you can find every Monday here on Adrenaline Radio, just remember, after the show, later in the week, generally by Tuesday... We have the show archived as a podcast on AdrenalineRadio.com website, also on BehindTheLensOnline.net, uh, also on Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, you name it, and Behind the Lens is out there, and you can find it, our entire archive, since day one of the show um, six years ago. So, very exciting. Very exciting, and I'm very excited about uh, our guest today, especially one of them. He's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, this will be his third appearance on the show. Uh, Randall Battenkoff is joining us. Last time he was here, he talked about uh, working on Bad Grandmas, which was Florence Henderson's last role before her passing. Uh, he has been on before talking about his directorial writing a directorial debut with the drama 37 now he is back as a director uh, with a script by Andy Callahan for fascinating inside game uh, and I can't wait for Randall to be on the world premiere of the film is later this week at San Diego Film Festival it already has a national release date of November 1 so we're going to talk to him about this film that I absolutely love. My review is up on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and it is definitely fresh, fresh, fresh. Uh, so Randall will be joining us. And at the midpoint of the show, writer-director Nancy Goodman is going to join us live, talking about her film, which is currently available on VOD, called Surprise Me. And what a delightful surprise this film is. I've got to tell you. Um, light, frothy, uh, 
a lightness of tone and in the look of the film. But there's a great underlying theme that we'll get into with Nancy, which at first you don't realize, and it takes some time. By, by film's end, you finally realize the message, the underlying message. Um, you've been so entertained by the film that you didn't realize that you were actually, that you were actually learning something uh, underneath. So I'm very excited to have Randall and Nancy joining us today. But before we get to them, uh, I want to talk about two, two films in particular, actually three films. I got to give a big shout out to High Strung Free Dance. It's currently in limited release uh, in theaters. This is a follow-up to the film High Strung of a couple years ago, written and directed by Michael Damien again. And I have to tell you, yes, and all you soap fans out there, yes, indeedy, it is the very same actor, Michael Damien, uh, that you all know and love. And, of course, those that know of Michael and his career, uh, he turned to directing, writing and directing some years ago. And to this day, he has written a couple of my favorite, favorite uh, Christmas movies for those Hallmark and Lifetime channels, uh, A Royal Christmas and A Princess for Christmas, uh, which boasted uh, Sir Roger Moore uh, in one of his last big, larger appearances. Michael has a great command of dance, music, everything he does, it has a lyrical quality to it. And that comes in large part due to his extraordinary wife, Janine, who is also a co-writer on High Strung Free Dance and also is a dancer herself and has an extensive resume, which comes in handy when uh, for purposes of working with the choreographer, uh, for purposes of working with Michael and the cinematographer, for staging and how to lens and I have to tell you, watching Michael's film High Strung a couple years ago, which is about dance, uh, and what he does now with High Strung Free Dance, night and day. This film has such high production values. The cinematography is exquisite. And it's all working up to, obviously, uh, we've got, we have very talented artisans. We have a very talented pianist. We have a dancer who is striving to be the best and living under the shadow of her mother, who is played by Jane Seymour, who reprises her role from the first film. Uh, but it all works toward this climactic, absolutely gorgeous third act production show within the film. Uh, the color is saturated. This is the most beautiful film that Michael has shot. Uh, this is the production, as I said, the production values are amazing. But particularly when you look at the climactic third act of the film and where this production of the talent within the film all comes together. Uh, you know, it's a Mickey and Judy, let's put on a show, but it's actually a Broadway show that's being put on. Uh, cinematographer Veral Sirkovici, uh, beautiful, beautiful job. He previously lensed, um, Hallmark fans will, will know the film, A Princess for Christmas, uh, 
which was also directed by Michael, which starred Katie McGrath. Um, but he incorporates two to four aerial, there's aerial shots, there's drones, there's, there's cameras, there's a big boy on the stage floor. It is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And the choreography uh, is Ty Teorio. Amazing choreographer. Uh, all told, at the end of the shoot, there were 86 hours of film that were shot. Uh, one of the interesting things, and you will hear Michael, you can, you'll read Michael's interview on BehindTheLensOnline.net later this week. But one of the interesting things about the film is because Michael is so cognizant of the talent of the dancers and what goes into even rehearsals, he was very aware to not require too many takes. And as a result, he would just keep shooting through. Uh, so when we're looking at dancers in rehearsals and they're covered in sweat, they were really covered in sweat. Um, it's it just so authentic, so beautifully done. William Honeyball does the editing. And his editing, especially in a couple montage sequences, are absolutely gorgeous. And what's interesting about William as the editor on High Strung Free Dance is his prior experience, probably best known for The Isle, which is a horror film. Um, however, the experience on cutting a horror film gives him a great understanding of pacing and tension, which falls right in play with the pacing of dance. Um, so it's beautiful, collaborative work uh, between cinematography, editing, and Michael's direction. And amazing, amazing performances from Thomas Darty, uh, Julie Darty, Harry Jarvis, uh, Kiki Markham, who was, she plays more or less a mentor to pianist Charlie. Uh, and of course, Jane Seymour. There is any dance fans out there, and I know that Kristen Burt of Dance Dance Network TV, uh, Kristen already knows, we've talked about this, uh, my affection for a particular scene in High Strung Free Dance. It takes place in a speakeasy. It is extremely reminiscent of classic film Nicholas Brothers. It is a sequence that stands on its own if Michael ever wants to pull it out as, a, as just a music video, it is gorgeous. Similarly with the third act climactic production number, it is gorgeous on its own. And the beautiful thing with free dance, you don't have to, you don't have to watch Dancing with the Stars or so you think you can dance and just get X, you know, one or two different dance styles each week. This film incorporates ballet, tap, jazz, contemporary, hip-hop, and Bollywood. Um, all these different dance styles are in this film. It is a joy to watch. And the dance, what's so beautiful is that in lieu of expository dialogue, the dance, watching the dance fills in that exposition. So, so well done. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. To find out where all it's playing, you can go to highstrungmovie.com. But I'll tell you, it is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And for all you music musicians out there, 
there's a wonderful segment with prepared piano. And it's not often that we talk about or hear about prepared piano. Um, I know it's, it's something that Volker, the composer Volker, loves to do and has done before. And he's actually the first one that explained to me what prepared piano was a number of years ago. So it's always a treat when I get to see it. It's used so rarely. But when it is incorporated, it is exquisite. And it is here with High Strung Free Dance. So see it, see it, see it. Out in theaters right now also, Gemini Man. I know it is rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. I did not give it a rotten. I gave it a fresh. Uh, directed by Ang Lee. It's an interesting, pre- the, it's a high concept premise about human cloning. Um, and it's something that has fascinated the world for a number of years. It's been in science fiction for decades. But it became a reality to the world in February of 97 when we were introduced to Dolly the Sheep, who was cloned. She was born in July of 96. However, until they made sure that she was going to survive, did testing, all of this, it wasn't announced to the world for almost seven months later. Um, What made Dolly so special was she was the first mammal cloned using the process of nuclear transfer with adult cells. There had been previous cloning attempts with embryonic cells, but Dolly was cloned with adult cells. That's what we see happening here in Gemini Man. The character of Will Smith, as an adult, his cells were taken by an intelligence man, uh, Clay Varis, played by Clive, De- uh, Clive Owen, and he was cloned. And the younger version, and the whole premise is the younger version is sent out to eliminate the older version of Will Smith. Weta Digital is the one responsible for the, <clears throat> the quote-unquote cloned Will Smith, who is called Junior in the film. Um, they have done an amazing job. It is a 100% CGI human look, human duplication they have done. Um, it's not just a face. It's a 100%, which involved Will Smith uh, going through motion capture so that they could replicate his movements because Junior mimics every move. All of his moves are the same. Uh, so... It is. It's kind of. It's more advanced than the double mint commercials that you saw decades ago, but the concept, the high concept, is great. The action is phenomenal. Um, the performances. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the standout in the film. The one problem with the film is HFR 3D. It's a digital format. It's got a higher frame rate, and it makes everything. You can see every pore, every nose hair, uh, every blade of grass, and it's distracting, to say the least. Um, See the film in 2D as opposed to the 3D. Uh, But right now, but it's not a train wreck. So please, please ignore numbers and just go see the film. It's well worth it for what we get from, from Weta Digital. And 
the performances and the action sequences, many done by some of the team members at Stunts Unlimited, and also for Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who just, she kicks ass. Right now, though, we're going to switch gears, and he's here, he's here, Randall Battenkoff is here. Hey, hey, hey. Hello there, how are you? Debbie Lynn, I'm well, how are you? Well, I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you have a new movie coming out that you directed. I'm so excited that it's fabulous. And I'm so excited that when I had this slot open and I just messaged you yesterday and said, hey, you want to come on the show and talk about your film? You said yes. Of course. Love to talk to you about the movie. This, you know my love for this film. It is. Oh, that makes me happy. It it's based on a true story and a story that has not been told in narrative form before. There was a documentary on it. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what this story is and how it came to you to direct? Sure. So it's it's uh, considered one of the uh, greatest sports scandals in modern history. And uh, it's what happened in 2006 and 2007. Uh, uh, referee, NBA referee Tim Donaghy uh, was busted for gambling on games he officiated. And basically the FBI was investigating a completely unrelated uh, scandal with the Gambino crime family, and they stumbled upon uh, – Basically, the mob bosses were complaining about money that was missing from NBA games, and they realized that something was amiss, and they sort of followed the trail, and it led to Tim Donaghy and two of his high school buddies, Tommy Martino and James Baba Batista. So the movie sort of chronicles the friendship between the three guys and how the scam was hatched and how they pulled it off, and then ultimately how they got busted. And uh, it's pretty riveting. The story, I mean, it's just a great scandal story. Oh, yeah. And the ending for me was always the, the thing that was just mind-blowing, was how, how the whole thing ends. <laughs> that, you know, it's just incredible, and, and it's so human. It's just such a human story. It's like a great gangster story, but it's a great human interest story about three guys from from the hood, you know, from Philly. And uh, Be kind when you yeah, talk about Philly you know. now. Be kind. <laughs> well, I mean, these are real, these are real people. I you know. know. Real problems. Yeah. And it's, a, you know, a wholesome people who, who just want to sort of make a mark uh, in the world. Yep. And I think that pressure, and I think when academics are, are sort of not treated with much respect, I think that, you know, the, you only have so many options. So a lot of the, the hot shots in town were, were the bookies. That's right. You know, the bookmakers and the guys who own the bars and mm-hmm. the, the strip clubs. And, um, you know, that's, if you want to be a hot shot, you know, you sort of go in that direction. That's... There aren't too many. I mean, sure, there are plenty of lawyers and doctors, but. Uh, only so few slots for those positions, and not everybody's qualified to do that stuff. So uh, one guy becomes a ref following his father's footsteps. One guy becomes a pot dealer, and one guy becomes the biggest mover of money on the East Coast. Yep. And uh, together it's like a perfect uh, cocktail for, for 
disaster. And a testament to the educational system that you can get out of school and be so adept at those things. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about the buddy. It's all about the friendship. And that That's... was what was so appealing to me was it's all about these three three buddies who would literally die for each other. And that's what I love about what you, how you tell, how you show us this story. You don't, yes, okay, there's the scandal. Yes, we're moving money. Yes, they're skimming. Um, Yeah, it's an involved uh, gambling uh, plot point. But you don't delve on that. This film is about the guys and about friendship and the ties that bind, and the straw that breaks a camel's back, so to speak. Um, That's right. And because Donahue had written a book. Had you read the book? Yeah, I did. I, I read his book. And, of course, then there was the documentary that had been done. And I've, I've seen the documentary. But it dealt yep. with the legal logistics, but nothing really dealt with, with uh, Tim and Baba and Tommy. And that's really where this film soars, is we get to know these guys. These guys are so likable. And as you know, for me, Will Sasso, he knocks this out of the park playing Baba. Yeah, it's it's an incredible performance. I I, I think all all, all three of the guys are, are sensational. I mean, I don't think there's a bad performance in the movie, but the three guys are really spectacular together mm-hmm. and uh you know you got scott wolf as tommy martino sort of like takes us into the other to the, the the world because he you know it was it's really tommy martino's story that we're telling mm-hmm. so we actually have tommy martino's life rights and he just came out with the book inside game so he gets some even more details from him but so it's his pov he takes us into the world uh and then you know Mabius and Donahue is pretty incredible. Uh, just so many layers and nuances. And, and Baba is, uh, I mean, Will Sasso and Baba Batista, I mean, it is a spectacular turn, i got to say. Uh, he, he sets the tone. Energy. He sets <laughs> the energy. The drug addiction. And the, he's never done drugs in his life, this guy. <laughs> I mean, that's what's so shocking. <laughs> Will Sasso has never done a drug in his life, and he's like the greatest drug addict on the planet. <laughs> I, it, it's amazing to watch Will, but it's the first act of the you you fall in love with these guys. You love their friendship. You love them. You love that they love their families. Um, Tommy is yeah, they do. Tommy's hilarious. As he, it's like uh, he lo- isn't he hilarious? He's hysterical. Uh, he's <laughs> such a dummy. He's so stupid. <laughs> I mean, he loves this girl, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to marry her, and uh, that ain't going to work. And they're, the the boys are like, no, 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 bad idea. Eh, I'm going to do it anyway. Then it's uh, then it's some other one, and it just, uh, it's so funny. He, Scott is he so, so badly wants to be a grown up. Scott is hysterical. Oh, he really is. He's hysterical. People, was, he is so... He was born un- to play. He's so underrated as an actor, I think. Well, uh, not after people see this. You know, so Scott and I, we studied acting together mm-hmm. when we were in our early 20s. So we go back to Playhouse West. You guys 19- go way back. Oh, 1991. That's right. That's how far back we go. And I've known Scott, I mean, we've been like best friends forever. So I, I, I just, I said, Scott, this is a part. You're going to, you're going to, 
love me when you see this part. And he flipped from day one. Scott was like, oh, my God, I'm yeah. playing this guy. Well, and, and, and he's going to eat it up. This is the Scott Wolf no one has seen. That's it. And... Uh, I mean, he's this. This is this is Scott. I mean, he's unbelievable in this part. But see, know? and it's this is a Scott we haven't seen before. This is also an Eric Mabius we haven't seen before. Eric Eric Mabius, incredible. I mean, that, that's right. This is. I an, mean, the nuance that that performance yeah. is just amazing. The the sort of you can see that he's sort of like a little uh, not evil, but he he has streaks of and he's also so serious. Yep, and he's funny, and he 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 loves the mischief, mm-hmm. but he's a very serious guy who takes himself very yeah. seriously. But he's got a he's he's got a wounded soul. Yep, he's and never really got, I think, the full sort of uh, approval from from his dad, which Michael O'Keefe just unbelievable is amazing. Performance there. Now, I mean, so O'Keefe, you know, I, I he his his agents called when, when we were put the script out there. And just sort of said, you know, he put himself on tape and was incredible. And but his agents were were really lobbying for it for him, saying how much he just connected and how much he loved the material. Now, I thought, you know, in my during my acting career, just you know, do, do you reach out and say those things to directors? Does anyone really care? And I always thought, you know, everybody does that. Let's forget about it. But it really meant a lot to me. Like, and I really did feel that. This was very personal to him, and you know he he got was nominated for an Oscar or a great Santini, and this was sort of I think the bookend to that whole mm-hmm. part. And he's I thought he's pretty he's pretty mesmerizing, and he and maybe is together. Oh my uh, God, you've got you've got that scene is, oh my you've got a couple scenes oh. between the two of them, but there is one yeah where the two of them are sitting there in Dad's house. Oh yeah. And your lighting is so perfect. It's just filtering through the curtains at the windows, so it's diffused. And the heavy, dark woods in the room. And they're sitting there, and you see Eric in character as Michael is lecturing him and talking. First, it's just talking to him, and it's that dad guilt tone that we all know. And you see Mm -hmm. the shoulders start to... Because he always has impeccable posture in the film. Always. Shoulders always back, head held high. But in this scene, he's sitting there and he starts, the shoulders start caving in. And he starts wow. leaning forward. And That's right. I watch that. I think I watch that one scene at least four or five times, Randall. Because it is so incredible, the nuance that each of them bring, that the camera captures. But the way you have that whole scene staged set your production design everything yeah it is that's a great scene it is a great scene very moving to watch it and watch those guys uh do it a few times it was very each time was different uh i think that we got in the film is sort of like the perfect balance on that scene yeah a really really moving really moving and, and it really sort of encapsulates that relationship which you know is, is obviously uh, very crucial to how the whole thing ends up playing out mm-hmm. so uh, and of course yeah, that I'm so happy you, you got okay. I was going to say and that whole scene 
There is no one out there that has not had a moment like that at some point of their in their life with their parent. Yeah. Maybe not for something yeah. as scandalous as this, but yeah. everybody, yeah, everyone has had that come to Jesus moment. That's right. With a very calm right. parental voice, and you're scared because the voice is so calm, and it's like you're waiting yeah. for the other shoe to drop. Uh, right. It's so. Now, how about Arthur Nascarella and Tommy's whole relationship with his father? Oh my God! Pretty, pretty uh, amazing. I thought. I as mean, well, just the nuance there, and sort of the depth, and when he, he when he catches wind of what's going on, I think that that's one of my favorite scenes in the it, film. You know, and this is a, uh, this is a testament to you, Randall, and I think it's your years as an actor, and your skill as an actor that. You know who to cast. You also know how to get that nuanced performance out of them. You know, from as, as an actor, what is going to work, what is going to feel right in that moment. And that is one of your greatest yeah. strong suits, especially with this film. Where And you didn't have to direct yourself this time. No, thank God. So, <laughs> you know, been there, that done. A, that was a relief. Been there, like done a vacation, that. Not having to See? worry about the acting. Yeah, but it was a lot easier. I'll tell you, and I'll tell you, that was thirty-seven was the best uh, film school I could have ever had. But to, for <laughs> for me to watch thirty-seven and then see Inside Game, your growth as a director between the two, it's obvious you learned lessons that you took to heart in filming thirty-seven that you now incorporated into what you bring us with Inside Game. Yeah, uh, that's true. Your, t- vi- your tonal bandwidth, your visual, visual tonal bandwidth, your emotional tonal bandwidth is perfect. Yvonne Valdez's editing, really, yeah, really, yeah. we feel the rise and fall. We feel the ebullience. And you've got a couple beautiful montages in there. And you know I'm a big fan of montage. I don't like excessive montages, but when you have, pop one or two in and it's done really well, and then you get great music behind it, and you've got Jeff Beal scoring, that, to yeah. me, that's a win-win. And that's what we have here. Yeah, we had some amazing people, I gotta say. It was just an incredible group of people who came together. Uh, we had great producers, um, just everybody, everybody just really um, contributed to this wonderful story. You know, we had a great screenplay by Andy Callahan. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually uh, Tommy Martino's cousin, Paul, who sort of spearheaded this whole operation. So the cousin of, you know, Tommy, one of the three culprits, was the producer. And then uh, Michael Pierce, who made The Cooler and many other great films. I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever saw that. William H. Macy movie. Oh, Alex he's... Ballum, got I love The Cooler. Love so, it. Yeah, so this... So, you know, Michael uh, really... Sort of, he's been a venture capitalist for years. He decided to come back into the movie business. He said, I've got to make this movie. And um, and that's... And I've known him forever. And uh, we, you know, we were talking about doing a movie together. And... Eventually, Inside Game came up as one of the movies uh, that he wanted to make, and I was going to sort of help produce it. And then at a certain point, 
Uh, he, I think a lot of the directors we were talking to wanted to get paid a lot of money. And uh, Michael at one point just said, hey, do you want to direct it? And so it was sort of like a, an incredible question. <laughs> my, my answer was, yes, I do. I'd love to. And then I ended up spending about six months with Penny Allen, who's one of the great acting coaches like, of all time. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, she's also an amazing directing coach. Oh, wow. So okay. we, spent, we, bro- we spent about six months working on that script, breaking it down, planning and plotting shots. You know, she'd say, how do you see this? How do you want to shoot it? And, and, and so, and, and this is while the movie was sort of on hold because we had the money and then we lost the money and then we had the money. And then, you know, it was a big, it was never seemed like it was going to come together really. But we just said, let's just, you know, just for the hell of it, let's really spend the time thinking about every, every shot. Like what? What? What's important here? And and that was really sort of uh, an incredible experience. And so when when we finally got the green light, I was really, really primed you were ready. to make the movie. I in, in a way that I, I hadn't been before. So uh, that was sort of an invaluable education. And so, uh, I think it all sort of works out pretty nice. At least you know, very happy with it. And I think people people are seeing it are really responding. Well, positively. So. People can see it this I think week. We got something good here. Well, I definitely think you do. And if you didn't, I'd tell you it sucked. Um, but <laughs> I know, I know you, <laughs> you know I would. And of course, oh, people yeah. can see it this weekend at San Diego International Film Festival. That's right. And so then we're premiering on the seventeenth, and then on the nineteenth we're screening, and then we're opening up uh, around the country on no, November first. That's it. And I know one hundred and fifty theaters to start with. And I and I know. My my attorney, a former baseball umpire, is going to be there on the nineteenth. Awesome. Brandon is going to be there. Um, he's Brandon, very great. He's very excited. We'll be to on the lookout for Brandon. He's going to hunt you down. I told him he has to, and if he doesn't, I'll find out about it and I'll kill him. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's that simple. Uh, I know he's excited, especially because of being a former baseball umpire for a number of years. And being oh, sure. an being an umpire, and he is a sport sports attorney is his big specialty, so he knows this world intimately. Um, so he's really looking forward to it. And of course, all of the Eric Mabius fans out there, all the postables from Hallmark oh, yeah. are just chomp- oh, yeah. they're chomping at the bit for November first. Oh, that's that's great! Yeah, they can't wait for the, for his fans to see him play this part. So, oh, Randall, my <laughs> darling, my my friend. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to let you go and talk to Nancy Goodman about her new film that's out right now. Awesome! Oh, exciting! All right, this well, I'll be listening to that. I'll be listening to that interview. In, in the meantime, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Oh, now what's do we have a website for Inside Game? Yeah, Inside Game. Movie.com. InsideGameMovie.com. Fabulous. Yep. Thank you, my check friend. Check it out. Everybody needs to check this out. This is one of my one of my big fall picks. I got to tell you, this is up there along with Jojo okay. Rabbit. So, which awesome. I love. So, awesome. thank you, Randall. Right. And I'll Certainly talk. You take care. Have a great day. You too. And I'll talk to you again soon. So. Bye bye. All right. Looking forward to it. Take care. Bye bye.
And that was director Randall Battenkoff, Inside Game. And now we have the wonderful, wonderful Nancy Goodman, writer-director of Surprise Me. <laughs> and what a, what a surprise that film is, Nancy. I was, yeah? oh my God, I was charmed and enchanted with this film. And oh, thank you so much. What I found, it's light, it's frothy, um, it's visual, the visual tone is light, the actual lighting is light, um, you have a lot of metaphor going on within your cinematography yeah. and production design, the contrast of windows in some places, and very claustrophobic, narrow, narrow hallway apartments in others, um, and then at the end of it, you finally realize, oh, my God, there's a message here. You're enjoying the <laughs> film so much. And it's not often where you see a film or, or where a film is made where there is a message being said, but it's not slapping you in the face. Well, you make me so happy. Because that that really was my, you noticed everything that I wanted you to. I, I I just, as I'm watching it, and of course, you know, let's tell everybody the story. It's the story of a girl, Jeannie Burns. Um, she masterminds surprise parties um, with a company. Surprise! Uh, <laughs> and she has, I have to say, her assistant, right hand, co co-owner, boss, whoever he however we want to describe Stephen, played by the wonderful LaShawn Banks. Um it's a beautiful office. There are windows. It's up high. It's well lit. It just scream you want to be in that room all the time. I know. I love that space. I love that space. That space is gorgeous. And uh, I j just blew me away, but then as I was so, oh, oh yeah, I was, you know I was so excited when they showed me that location. I mean, it just and it tells us everything we need to know about the joy that supposed I hate surprises, but ninety nine percent of the world <laughs> likes them. But you uh -huh. you like that the lightness and the joy that you get. And you feel that every time we are in that space in this film. And, and I, I just, I'm so happy that you picked that up. <laughs> I really am. And then we counter that with going to a boyfriend Jeff's apartment. Narrow hallways. That yellowish tone of paint on the walls. Um, not well lit. Um, the very claustrophobic closet. Uh, the the yeah. whole thing, it's like, it, it's, it, it's screaming, this is a bad relationship. Get out of there. Right. And, and she can't until she can. Until she can. Where yeah. did, because, and this is peppered with great performances, too. Uh, Sean Ferris, I've been a huge fan of him. Every year, I must watch it at least 20 times, Christmas with Holly. On Hallmark. Uh -huh. I cannot miss that. Um, and I, I just, that's really where I took great note of Sean Ferris, was in that Hallmark yeah. movie. <laughs> um, 
You know, he had a wonderful approach to this character because he wanted to show all sides of him, that he has a good side and he also has a damaged side. Mm-hmm. And um, and I appreciated the performance because he we needed to see some of his heart because we needed mm-hmm. to understand why Ginny was attracted to him in the first place. That's it. And, of course, the way with his hair cut and the way it's styled in your profile shots, he looks like a very young Tom Cruise. Doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So right away you're thinking on a subliminal level, this girl is going to be attracted to him no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's fun. He's charming. He's, you know, mysterious. And um, the, but, the, but the part where she really starts to attach to him is when he starts to talk about his childhood. And, and, um, and she, there's a part of her that relates to that and, and feels close to it. And mm-hmm. so, and there, there she is inside of it. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about Jeannie. Fiona Gubelman as Jeannie, she is effervescent. For yeah. 85% of this film, she is like a bubbly bottle of champagne. Yep. Infectious. And, and a joy, an absolute mm-hmm. joy to watch. And that's the feeling you get when you're watching this film. Is joy. Um, you know, it's not often I can say that about a film. But I'm curious, where did this story come from? Did it? Did your book surprise me come first? Did the book come after you thought of make of writing this script and making this movie? And I know it all stems from food and binging. Uh huh. Which I did and had trouble with and didn't understand. So uh, I'd say the majority of this story is is personal, and a lot of what you see on there, including you know uh, cereal in my hair and going through a drive-through and ordering from the garbage can, thinking it was the speaker. I mean, putting Altoids in my nose with a smelly cab driver. I mean, so many of these things happened. And I felt at the time when I was suffering from these binging episodes and not understanding what it was, I felt very dark and very ashamed. And so when I got help and understood it and then realized how many other women there must be out there who feel this way and go through it, that's why you see a pretty movie because I wanted it to be pretty because we feel so dark about it. And um, so I really wanted it to be enjoyable and entertaining and fun and relatable but very real and so when you said the message didn't slap you in the face that makes me so grateful to everyone involved because that's that was my hope that it it would just be there start a conversation start you thinking about it but but make you feel good at the same time mm-hmm. now how you know, so. was how challenging was it writing this script because number one while it can be very cathartic it can also be you've got you're pulling in so much of your personal experience. Yeah. You know, how do you you know, how do you turn it on and off and break it down into character format, episodes, plot points without making it essentially an autobiography? Well, it is all of that, you know, 
It is, it is, it is partially an autobiography, mostly an autobiography. It was painful and it was hard, but I knew that whatever was hard was probably the part that was going to reach out and, and touch people and get them where they live and, and breathe. And so, but it's, it, it is healing to put creativity toward our pain mm-hmm. from the past. And, um, and it was fun. It was great fun. I mean, my kids are in it. My dad is in it. My, you know, I, um, these are all places in my hometown and meeting these actors. I mean, Fiona slept at my house. You know, I mean, we became so close. And so it was the most wonderful thing in the whole world, making this movie. It was so fun now and was, so rewarding. Was it always your intention to direct Nancy? Oh, my gosh, no. That that happened like three weeks before. We, we already had a shooting date, and we were still looking for a director. <laughs> and it was the crew and the producer who encouraged me to do this. And I said, why would I ruin my own film? I would never direct. I don't even know where a foot goes. I don't know anything. And they said, it's, it's our job to get your vision up on the screen. And all you have to do is answer our questions. You know these characters. You gave birth to them. You know everything that you need to know to direct. And you also know how to communicate feelings and sentiments to the actors. You understand these characters and all you have to do is explain it. And when you said that, because I had passed on directors who I felt were changing the heart of and the tone mm-hmm. of the script and so or rewriting it. And so that's when I decided to listen to them. And, you know, I just turned into a director. I almost felt like I was a mother I, I, or, or, and a host. I was hosting actors and crew <laughs> members in my, you know, quote-unquote home. And making them feel welcome and helping them understand what this was all about and what it meant to me. And and then it became that to them. And so it was the easiest thing I ever did. Mm. It was easy. So when, hard. This part's hard. <laughs> so when you, <laughs> when you put your director's hat on, you had, as your cinematographer, Ben McBurnett. And what I find yes. interesting is that this was only Ben's second feature. Yeah. At the time. So you're a first time director. He's mm-hmm. just a second time feature cinematographer. Yeah. So I'm curious. And I, I, about, I tell you an interesting story about Ben, which is when I interviewed him, I turned him down because I just didn't feel what I, what I needed to feel from mm-hmm. meeting him. So I, and I wanted a woman. And so I was going to hire this female cinema photographer and Kevin McGreal the producer said I want you to trust Ben he's so good he's so good and oh am I happy I listened to him because Ben you know the close-ups the beauty of his shots and the integrity of them I mean he was wonderful and you know and you look at technically you look at this and you look at the lighting you look at the framing Mm -hmm. and it is Mm -hmm. it's so well done and, yeah, that was all him. and uh, you know, our lighting, we have interiors. We've got quite a bit of exterior work here. Yeah. Out on the street. So you're using a lot of natural light. Um, but he carries the, uh, the lighting tone. It, it feels very natural going outside, inside to Jeannie's office, into Jeff's apartment. You feel yeah. that flow. It connects. It's mm-hmm. not disjointing. 
Yeah. And yeah. that struck me as I was watching this. Um, and it surprised me with a cinematographer is only his second feature to have that that continuity yet cohesiveness and he had such um i mean he was so focused and he had such a vision of what he needed it to be and what he thought would look great and he would discuss it with me but it was it it, it was him it was him mm-hmm. he made the calls and, of course, then you bring in another first-timer. Um, Craig Snyder does your music, your score. Craig is a musical genius. I mean, I sat, he and I sat together um, every, every, every day, and I would say to him, you know, in my layman terms, can you make it bouncy? Can you make it fun? Can you make it warm? Or, no, I, I, I feel like it has to go deeper or can you do that twangy thing that you do? And he would just adjust and create as we sat there and, and, and make these moods and with such fun and lightness and then also with heaviness. And I, I can't believe what he came up with. I can't believe it. I mean, it's, I love, I love the score. I mean, everything about this, Nancy, you keep it all light, unburdening. Uh, even with the costuming, with your choice, your color choices. And, of course, where all of that really shines is when we get into the psychiatrist's office, who I yeah. have to say, Nicole Sullivan, long one of my favorite character actresses. Yeah. Um, an absolute scream. Absolute scream. I was laughing myself silly watching her. <laughs> We all were. We were just so, we were so amazed by Nicole. She, she did all that in one day, one day of shooting. And um, she was just, she brought, she brought everything. I mean, that's a hard, you know, in the book, the, the therapist is not funny. But for the movie, I knew she had to be, because otherwise it would get preachy, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and it had to be somebody who could pull it off. And she went so far beyond what I, what I could have imagined, uh, you know. But with her, it was important for her to stick to the script exactly because I only had a few minutes to mm-hmm. get this message out. And she was the deliverer of it. And whereas with the other places, there was some ad living and people could bring their own stuff. But Nicole, with Nicole, I needed her to go completely to script. And it was difficult because it's fast moving and, you know, the pace of it. And, oh, she was wonderful. She was wonderful. Oh, my. And what, and, you know, what you did with. Her costume uh, with her, her jewelry was just, it made her look kind of like a loon. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the fact she And that was the, that's that was the, um, the idea. The wardrobe people, they came up with those crazy outfits and crazy earrings and necklaces. And I mean, I wrote for her to be, you know, have a kooky style, but I, I didn't specify what that was. I mean, they did that. They oh my were God. wonderful with Nicole. Okay, so whose idea was it for the squeaky dog toys, uh, you know, the dog hamburgers and donuts? Yeah, that was that was me. That yeah, was that you. Was me. Yeah. I thought that was just so ingenious in the way that Nicole, she just went to town squeaking those little things. Didn't she? Oh, my God. 
and the hama hama hama, nothing went in, nothing went in. You know, I mean, it, if, <laughs> she did that one. That was so fun. I mean, I hope there were no animals on set because they would have gone crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's I mean, that's yeah, for, not on that day. Not a- although my dog is in one of the scenes. Aha! Uh-huh. So you really uh-huh. made it a family affair. It was such a family affair. Yeah, that was. Um, well, my son was on set every day. He was home for the summer, and he's a film student. And so, one of the reasons I wanted to do it during the summer was so he could be part of it. And so that free was labor. A thrill. And then, pardon me. Free labor. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had to pay him. Oh. I had to pay him. <laughs> but um, it was really. It was it was really fun to have everybody in it and and uh, and everybody's so supportive. You know what did you find the most challenging aspect of bringing this story to life? I guess um, the day that I said, "Okay, green light." You know, the day that I decided. Because I kept changing the script over and over and over, and you know that can be endless, because every time you, you read it, you, there's another thing that you want to change. And so it was this spring day. I was in my backyard, and I just made the decision, okay, we're going to do it. And once I said that, everything went into motion. And I think that was the hardest part, the scariest part, was just realizing, okay, I've just made this decision to not, not have this be something I'm talking about, but something that we're doing and but then from there it just it it just went it just went and then and then the other times that were difficult were realizing how many people I suppose especially in this industry were going to tell me what I wanted to hear and take money and um and try to take power away from me getting me to sign contracts that were really not in my best interest to sign and um bullying me a little bit um, I had to walk away from a lot of people that were going to get the film done, but not, but that I realized I couldn't trust. And that was a real eye-opener through the entire thing. I, I just learned that I can't trust people who tell me to trust them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was a big lesson. You know, big lesson. Now, has that impacted how you will approach future work? Future directorials, I would like to think you're going to direct again. Oh, I'd love to direct again. I, I would love to. But, but yeah, you know, I think I went in this very naive, and I was thinking, well, if I'm trustworthy and if I'm kind uh, and if I'm generous and not caring about, you know, scrapping for a, a, a dime or, you know, wa- wanting mm-hmm. to be generous, sure. then other people will do the same. And I learned that it's the opposite. They'll walk all over you and take advantage of, of that because they see it as naive. And, and so moving forward, I know not to sign a contract unless my attorney looks at it. And I, I know to look out for myself because nobody else will. Mm-hmm. It, not, I'm not talking about the actors or any of the crew members. I'm talking about the business people aspect. who sign deals, people who take yeah. on the movie. I have to be careful you know, who would look out for, for they're not going to look out for me. Mm-hmm. I, I have to. Mm-hmm. So what was the distribution process? What was the distribution process like for you? I know for first time directors, that can be uh, scarier than hell. Yeah. I signed on with one who I'd had a relationship with from the beginning. And over time, I won't say their name, but over time, I started to realize that 
they weren't paying me, they weren't sending the accounting, they were in breach of contract. Oh, Nancy, you know, we love this film, we love you, we care about you. Of course, we would never, you know, this is what's going on. This is, And I started to see over time that I was being treated like an idiot mm-hmm. with, with very friendly hands. You know, we're looking out for you, we're looking out for you. Well, no, they weren't. And I ended up having to break the contract and go into my attorney, and that was painful on many levels you know, because I did have yeah. a relationship with them. And, but then I went, but very close to the end of that came another opportunity with someone with Indie Rights who is, who distributed this film. And mm-hmm. Linda Nelson is, um, above board. She's, she's not my, she's not my friend. She is, which is appropriate. Yes. She's not my friend. She's a person putting out this movie and she's professional and she's done well by me, and she's kind to me, but she's professional, and I trust her. And mm-hmm. I I learned what I needed to learn about her before making the decision, and, you know, I did my homework, and so, and she got me on the Amazon Prime, and, you know, so I, I got, I'm really grateful to have gotten out of the other contract. Mm-hmm. How has the reception yeah. been? Because the film is available on VOD right now. So yeah. cu- how has the reception been for Surprise Me? Has it been a surprise? <laughs> sometimes a good one and sometimes a really <laughs> painful one, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's so funny because I knew this was not necessarily a critics movie. It's it's a it's a audience movie, yes. you know. And it's 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 meant for the women who I'm who are my my friends and my and my my co-conspirators in binging, you know, all of them. And and so I've had some really nice reviews, re- wonderful responses from the audience, from the people who've seen it, and some really really painful reviews from some men who just looked at it and said all of the opposite things that you said. You know, it's not funny. As a matter of fact, the only thing you would do is laugh at it, laugh at this director. I mean, there's a cruelty in in yeah. some of these reviews that I find unnecessary. Sometimes I've read reviews and I think, oh, you know what, that's an interesting point. I get that. And then there's other times I read something and it's just mean to be mean, you know. So I've had to, I've had to get strong about that, mm-hmm. you know, and just remember why I did it and that there's people who, who love and appreciate attached to it. And then there's going to be some who are angry at it. And Well, so, my, my bit of advice to you on that, having been a critic yeah. for over 32 years now, it's I always approach every film and I think all critics should do this. You have to approach them objectively. You yeah. can't just say, "Oh, this is horrible. I hate it." But why? Yeah. You have to be able right. to articulate from a cinematic platform. What is the production design faulty? Is the wardrobe bad? Is, is the score right. what what are the actual issues? Not just yeah. I don't like it. That yeah. that isn't helping anybody. It doesn't help you as a director. It doesn't help moviegoers. Um, and personally, I think it just it's self-serving because somebody wants to run their mouth, and maybe yeah. they're just a yeah. neg- a negative person. But yeah. you know, anybody that just that puts out there in these reviews, and I I see plenty of this happening because they're not mm-hmm. actual critics. It's people that decided. Hey, I can make a website and I watch movies, so I'm going to write about them. Yeah. 
And yeah, they bring their stuff to it, too. You know, like there was one that said something about, it, it was very cutting, and it talked about the, you know, the main character with her dead daddy issues. And that stung because, now my dad is celebrating his 90th birthday uh, this Thursday. You know, Yay! so It wasn't about, yeah, I know. So it wasn't about, it wasn't that I had that, but I knew that one of the reasons people can binge is because of, of, things that get re-triggered mm-hmm. later in life, sure. like, like like early loss. And so when he when he said that, I thought, that's so disrespectful to people who, they don't have dead daddy issues. They've, yeah. they've, they've suffered pain and a loss. And yep. so stuff like that, you know, like you don't need to be crass and insensitive to people mm-hmm. who've had pain. That don't, that's not the place to put it. Yeah. No, I mean, it'd be one thing if, if somebody was writing that, okay, the camera angles are bad, okay, it's, yeah. it, uh, you know, what is the purpose of having this design? It makes no sense given the theme yeah. of the story. Things like that. That's constructive. Yeah. But no, mm-hmm. being right. mean, there is no place for that. And there is not a mean yeah. thing about this film. It is, well, as I said, it is a joy. It is a joy when you watch this film. And, you know, it it is. It makes you smile. It makes you laugh. Okay, if if somebody gave me a surprise wedding, I'd cringe. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) But it's, there's a lot of fun and heart in this film. And Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. And really you should be very, very proud of what you've mm-hmm. turned out. First time screenwriter, first time director. Um, you've done a darn fine job, Nancy. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. That, that's really nice to hear from you. Thank you. A I darn really fine that. job. Well, unfortunately, we are all out of time today. Um, but, okay, well, I've had fun. <laughs> well, I hope you'll come back on the show sometime. I hope you'll do do it. another project to get you back on here. Um, but in the meantime, everybody can see Surprise Me at, on VOD. Uh, where else? Any What digital platforms are we on? Yeah, right now, just Amazon Prime. Okay. Just Amazon Prime. And yeah. w- it will it eventually go out to others? Yes, eventually it will. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And yes. do we have, a, and the website is? The website is Surprise Me Movie, and then our Instagram is um, Surprise Me Movie. And everybody can check, and I'm sure the theater listings will get posted on there. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Nancy, thank you so much. Such. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've made my, my day potentially my, my season. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad. And I'll talk to you again in the, soon in the future, I hope. Okay, I hope so, too. Thanks, Thank you, Nancy. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was writer-director Nancy Goodman talking about Surprise Me. And you're in for a lovely surprise if you see Surprise Me. So I encourage you to do so. Inside Game. In theaters November 1. But if you're in San Diego, catch it out this catch it this weekend. So that is all the time we have. Pam's looking at me with the evil eye. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. <laughs>